0: KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in.
1: I'm Matt Leon, and this is one on one. They would talk to me after practice and give me some pointers. I remember Dean told me that every good coach is a teacher first. And I really took that at heart. My first job out of college was teaching they were always trying to impact the people around them and i got to see that firsthand coaches were hugely impactful in everything i did and i'm hoping i'm doing that for my players
0: and our guest this week mountain MacGillivray. he is the head women's basketball coach at la salle university and coach thanks so much for taking the time
1: yeah really glad to be here
0: let's just kind of start the last six months have been odd to say the least how have uh you spent them. What have the last half year been like for you?
1: Yeah. So obviously we, our season had ended right before things, everything got shut down. Uh, We'd been eliminated from our tournament and then uh, everybody gets sent home. And so we're trying to find ways to engage our team and and stay connected. And during this time, our athletic department, uh, our athletic director, Brian Baptiste brought in uh, some leadership training, which was really, really valuable. And, um, we were able to take that and then bring that back to our teams. We came up, really got a lot of ideas that came out of it. um, Some exercises for our teams to think about uh, the things that are important to them, what they value. And it was really good. So that really helped. Obviously recruiting is a nonstop uh, activity in college basketball. So a lot of recruiting took place. And then, you know, we went uh, virtual with a lot of that learned how to use zoom for the first time. Didn't even know what it was before now. (laughs) And so uh, yeah, it was just a, an effort to stay as connected as possible with the staff and the team and, and continue to uh, you know, build uh, this program.
0: Staying connected with the team, there's the pandemic, there's protests, there's the, the fight for social justice. What are the conversations like with the kids? I mean, obviously, I don't want to get too personal or anything, but just yeah. what are the questions? What are the conversations like at this point in history with everything going on?
1: at first it was, it was just an effort to keep them engaged. Uh, you know, obviously they were in school for a while there, but then just keep them engaged with basketball and, and in overcoming their boredom and whatnot. And a lot of them uh, started working. And uh, but so, you know, we with kids in Australia and in different places in the South and, and Texas. So we had to find creative times to meet together and, and, and get on and talk to one another. But then after the George, Floyd uh murder we got together as a group well first I just called all the kids on my team one on one and just chatted with them and just you know let them know I loved them and I cared and we're here to talk if they needed to and then after that we we got together I have a, a guy I've known for a long time Devon Jackson he's a um, down at Silesianum and he's a diversity officer there. He teaches at the school and he runs an organization on the side called change. And so just got him on with our team just to facilitate a conversation amongst the group that we just, I, coming out of that conversation, I felt really good about um, our team and how supportive they were of one another and how strong that they were going to come through this. And um, you know, the, we, it's an opportunity for us to unite and, and bond and show one another that we care about each other and try to be a reflection to the world of uh, w- what we're supposed to be like and how we're supposed to deal with one another.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your story growing up. What was your first basketball memory? When do you first remember basketball really taking hold in your life?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So I'll tell you, it, it was probably uh five slam majama And, uh, um, my next door neighbor across the street, Pat Devlin, uh, he, he and I used to play up the street at this little, uh, hoop that we could dunk on. So it was not, you know, it was probably like six feet and he was always St. Joe's Hawks. Uh, you know, his mom worked at St. Joe's. And so he knew all the players. And, and uh, you know, we'd self-pass the ball to himself. And Benny Anders and, and Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon. And so we used to do that every day. And so that, that's probably my earliest, uh, you know, basketball memories.
0: Was basketball always the top of your list growing up? Or were you a kid that played everything, took part in everything, depending on the season?
1: I played everything. And, and honestly, you know, baseball was my true love. Um, I en- ended up uh, playing baseball at Archbishop Carroll, played baseball at Temple for Skip Wilson for a couple of years. You know, and to this day, I still love baseball. All My kids uh, play it and, you know, I coach when I can, but uh, basketball, I got invited to get involved after I got cut from high school basketball, get involved with the Archbishop Carroll girls basketball team, uh, Rob DeLuca a, a guy from the neighborhood who was an assistant coach there. Um, he, uh, he knew me from being our, at our lady Lords and playing basketball and football. And uh, he asked me how basketball was going. I said, I didn't make the team. He said, I don't want you to help out and be the manager of the girls team. And right away being with, he was the JV coach and Linus McGinty was the head coach and Carol was a great program. And so I got to be in the gym every day and I started noticing, you know, things about some of the players, their footwork when they made shots and missed shots things that I couldn't apply to my own game, but like I started noticing trends and started, you know, helping them out and realized I had a little bit of ability to um, develop some of these players. And so from there I just kind of got the bug and I just started going to people's practices and listen to every speaker I could and work in camps and uh, worked at Kathy rush camps and Bill M- done his blue chip camps uh, out of Villanova. And so that's really how I got uh, started in the game. First team I ever, my first team I ever coached my own team was a, Fifth and sixth grade boys at Our Lady of Lords, um, so that's how I got started. How'd
0: you do? Uh,
1: we won Region Eight championship out in the suburbs, and um, it was all be- it really we were literally a a one player team. Like I've never seen one. I had a kid, Tony Solomon, who was about five nine sixth grader who could grab the rim. Um, he was blazing fast, and he was, he'd score 40 points, get 40 rebounds, and uh, block 40 shots. Like, he was ridiculous. And uh, I had one other kid who could dribble on the whole team. Nobody else could make a shot. So it was great coaching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about deciding to make coaching your life's work. I think there's one thing to enjoy it, and it's another thing to, to go all in with it. Was it a gradual thing, or is there a discussion with yourself that, you know what, I want to do this, I'm going to gonna do what it takes, because I don't think people realize, people hear all about the coaches that make millions of dollars, and yeah. the other end of that spectrum, high school and college, maybe it's a small stipend, some places it's volunteers, so mm-hmm. just kind of talk about that decision to to go all in.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it really it really grabbed a hold of me, you know, at Carroll being a, a, the manager of that team, like, I, it really meant a lot. Like I was, I, mean, I did stats for the coach. I did play by play on the film. I broke the film down after the game and I just got hooked. And so when I was at, when I was in high school, trying out for the baseball team, I remember my Frank Allison, the baseball coach uh, told all the guys in the room, He said, boys, you know, someday you're going to realize uh, that the game has passed you by. And, and then he said, you know, for some of you in this room, that time is now. Well, for me, that, that time wasn't for me at that point. But I remember sitting in the bullpen, spring baseball at Temple and catching the pit, warming the pitchers up for the games and, you know, sitting out there the whole time, just freezing. It's still cold. And, uh, I heard Frank Allison in my head. Sometimes you got to realize the game has passed you by. And, um, I I decided to go on and coach with, uh, with Linus, the next, you know, commit to coaching that season. And, he went to O'Hara and then Barry Kirsch, the coach at Carroll, um, invited me to to stay on that staff. And th- I knew that's what I wanted to do then. So I was probably a, a junior in college and um, I was doing communications because at one point I wanted to you know, do what you're doing or be a sports writer or do play by play. But I realized then that. I was just going to kind of finish that out because I wanted to coach. And so I started going to Cheney's practices at 5 a.m., riding my bike through North Philly to get there, just taking in as much as I could at that point. So I knew that's what I wanted to do.
0: Those John Cheney 5 a.m. practices are the stuff of legend. What was it like to observe that?
1: It was great. I mean, just he ran his practices. Uh, the You know, w- when you would get there and the the assistants would – be working the guys out on both ends and getting them ready to go. And then he'd come in and he'd bring them in and he'd start talking. And sometimes he didn't stop. You know, there was a lot of life lessons, a lot of comedy and a lot of basketball packed into, um, you know, practices, which were pretty long, but I was amazed at how much it was just him talking to them uh, on a daily basis. And I realized that, you know, the coach can have a real impact on, you know, the life of his players and got to see that with uh, Coach Chaney. And um, I was a huge fan of, of all of his Temple teams. That that was the team that I grew up rooting for after Five Slamma Jamma. You know, <laughs> I, I watched all of Mark Macon and then Aaron McKee and Eddie Jones's career and just loved all the big five teams, really, you know, except for one. But that was those were the teams that I grew up rooting for.
0: What kind of impact does that have on you when you talk about life lessons and so much of it not being basketball with him? Because one thing, I've done a lot of these and in other conversations, you talk with young coaches, and it's so much because you're young and you don't, it's all wins, losses. I got to win, I got to win, I got to win, I got to win. But having a window into a coach who who shows that bigger picture, did that, how much of an impact does that make on uh, a, a young coach like McGillivray uh, to win? how you should frame it all
1: yeah I I think it was great you know because I coaching the high school team you know I was already seeing that you know I could impact those kids lives by just being present for them and you know helping them when parents couldn't help in different times and then to see Chaney was just such a master teacher be able to do that but then also like Dean Demopoulos and and Coach Maloney that the impact they had on me there. Like, so they would talk to me after practice and, and, you know, just share some of the things we were doing and give me some pointers. I remember Dean, you know, he told me that every good coach is a teacher first. And I really took that at heart. My first job out of college was teaching. I taught in the Catholic grade school at our mother of sorrows, you know, three years. So, They were always trying to impact the people around them, and that really uh, that rubbed off. And I got to see that firsthand. But really, I got to see that in my own life as a player. You know, my baseball coaches were you know hugely impactful in everything I did, and I'm hoping I'm doing that for my players.
0: So, what were you like as a young coach? Are you (laughs) and I should say, are you a lot different now than you were as a young coach? Yeah.
1: So. I think just in general, with all of athletics, I've just changed a little bit. So I just, you know, as a young sports fan, like the, the Eagles would lose a game and I, it would be like four days before I would, you know, be happy again. And then I wasn't coaching the team or playing. And I remember in high school, I'd lose a baseball game. If, I, if we lost and, you know, we were pretty good, my stepmom would be like, yeah, don't come home not because she was disappointed we lost she just didn't want to deal with me after losing a game and so as i've you know that went into into coaching right you know every win and loss you know affected me much more than it should have and i think the longer i've been in it i've gained more perspective i think family has helped with that as well and i realized that winning is really important and boy it makes it a whole lot more fun but it's not everything, and sometimes when the scoreboard says that you lost, you can still end up winning. And uh, I've learned I, I'm not a roller coaster anymore. I'm pretty even. I get I still really enjoy the wins. Don't get me wrong, but the losses don't kill me the way they used to because I realize that uh, we got to get back in the gym the next day. That's the only way we're going to win the next one is uh, get back and refocus.
0: So if I talk to you in that 1995, 96, 97. 97- and I say to you, what is your coaching goal if you where do you foresee yourself twenty years from now twenty five years from now in twenty twenty what kind of answer would I have, would I have gotten then
1: i yeah, you would have gotten me to tell you that I see me sitting right where I am now. honestly, all I really wanted to do was to coach in the big five here in in this town like I used to remember just seeing like um you know, the, the coach walks into the gym, whether it was, you know, you know, you know Johnny Miller or, or or Phil Martelli or Cindy Griffin, like whoever the coach was like when they walked in, like everybody's like, oh, there's there's a St. Joe's coach. There's a LaSalle coach. You know, there's a Villanova coach. And I wanted I wanted to be, the, you know, one of those coaches of, of the team in the city because. I didn't have an aspiration, like winning a national championship was not my, you know, lifelong dream. Um, I just wanted to coach and coach at a high level and enjoy. And I honestly, I was really content coaching at the high school level. But then I realized that, you know, you need to have two jobs to do that. And I was working a lot of hours as a high school coach, um, scouting and, and, you know, I was in the Catholic League back then recruiting and um, coaching and practice and stats. And then I was working another job. A lot of hours, too. And I was like, man, I I think I could just do this as one job. And so um, I was fortunate enough to get a a break to coach at the University of Vermont one year. And you talked about starting salaries. I I think I made three grand as an assistant that year at Vermont. Maybe it was five, somewhere between three and five. I had to wait uh, breakfast at the Sheridan in the mornings uh, to be able to survive while I was up there. Then I came back and Kathy Rush gave me an unbelievable opportunity to run her basketball camps. So I met for five years um, and went back to Carroll, coaching at Carroll, because it wasn't sustainable to be in Vermont, and I wanted to get married. And in that time, I got married and started my family and got a break to go up to New Hampshire. From there, like, I was really content to be an assistant coach. I wanted to find a way to get back home. And then when I ended up at Quinnipiac and they were, you know, I was coaching with such an unbelievable coach and Trish at, at a great school that was paying me really, really well, I didn't think I was ever going to be a head coach um, because I was really happy being there. Normally you don't go from being an assistant at a lower level division one school to being a head coach at a higher division one school. And none of the, the schools at that level were going to pay me as much as they were paying me as an assistant. So I was content to be there for as long as Trish was going to be there. Then the LaSalle thing opened up and they gave me a shot and it's a dream come true.
0: So let's talk about the run at, at Quinnipiac. I think nine seasons. You were associate head coach the last three, and you guys really, for that size of school, you were an elite program. How special was that experience? You talked about happy to be there as long as you could. I mean, not just to enjoy what you're doing, but to be in, it. You're enjoying it and having high, high level success. What was that like?
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. Everyone asks a lot, like, what was, like, the, the big best moment there. And and I got to tell you, the, going to the Sweet 16 was amazing, right? But we honestly thought that's what we were going to do. That was our goal. And truly one of the highlights of my coaching career. But winning the first conference championship on our home court, because in the NEC then, the the you played at the higher seed, and having the students – pack the gym and rush the court for a championship victory. That, that was the high watermark there, honestly. And that's honestly what I'm super excited about here at LaSalle. Um, you know, it's going to be on a neutral site, but like doing something for the first time, like there's not been an Atlantic 10 uh, women's basketball championship here. And so winning that championship for the first time, is, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Obviously I got the same goal. Like I want to, I think we can go and win games in the NCAA tournament. Um, and that's what we're building toward and we want to contend for those titles in the A-10 on a regular basis. But um, doing something for the first time and making it history is really cool, really cool.
0: What are some lessons you learned during your time at, at Quinnipiac, basketball-wise and like running a program-wise? What were the big things you took away from your time there that you have worked to institute at LaSalle?
1: Running a program-wise, I think one of the things that Trish really imparted on me is that the most important thing with – putting her team together and her staff together was surrounding herself with people that she wanted to be around and not sacrificing that for, you know, because this kid's faster than that kid or maybe shoots the ball a little bit better, or this coach has more experience at this level or that level. Like she went after, you know, people that she felt were going to have a joy for, for coming into the court every day and coming into the office every day. And that was so valuable because our working environment, our competing environment uh, with the team was so good and everybody wanted to do it all the time. And uh, so that's something I'm trying to do here at LaSalle. And I've been able to surround myself with some awesome people. And I really didn't hurt a great group of young ladies. And that was really fortunate to come into a group of kids who, you know, we weren't very good on the basketball court yet, but they really cared about each other. And um, we're really good to the staff and good to each other. And so I was blessed to just kind of inherit that uh, environment, but we're trying to even cultivate that even more. And uh, I think we've got a really good group of kids who uh, take great care of each other. Yeah. So I would say that was the big thing about running a program that I, I took from that experience. I also got to see the value of having a system that has continuity to it so that you have You know, players who get put in place, who, you know, know their roles and you recruit to that system and the kids who are choosing to play for you know what they're getting into. And um, that's how I think we got to see the success that we did, because um, we had a lot of interchangeable parts who everyone understood how it worked and we just clicked really well.
0: So you're entering your third season, whenever that season is going to start. (laughs) You take the LaSalle job you're coming home, you're a head coach. Was there an extra level of nerves because you're a college head coach for the first time, but you're doing it in your hometown? Does that add a level of uh, of nervousness to taking a job like that? Or does it subtract a level of nervousness because you're entering familiar territory?
1: I know this is going to sound weird to say because you hear so many coaches all the time talk about you know their – pre-game jitters and prepare like I don't get nervous anymore. I get excited for what's coming because I'm enjoy doing it. But I don't think there is uh being home in front of the home crowd and home people provided any extra stress. Um I would say nothing but extra blessings of being able to see aunts and uncles and cousins and neighborhood friends in the stands um that they just weren't in the stands uh, elsewhere. So that's been a, a just a great blessing.
0: What's your favorite part of what you do? Is it game day? Is it the locker room post game? Is it the first 10 minutes of practice? Is it recruiting? I'm talking like the the whole spectrum of things that go in with being a Division 1 coach. What's at the top of your list?
1: Man, I don't know if I've ever prioritized them, but I I'll, I'll just rattle off a couple things that, you know, make me happy to be coaching and having Parents reach out to you and express their appreciation for how you're caring for their kid. Having kids who are going through something feel comfortable to come in, you know, to your office and and talk about it. You know, so those things really, you know, give me a sense of pride in in what we're doing and what I'm trying to do. You know, the basketball part practice every day. I love it. The collaboration with the staff, when we can get into a good fight about what we're going to do and disagree. I love that too. Um, The exchange of ideas and, and battling about, you know, the right way to do things, obviously tight games and and success and in big moments and seeing kids, you know, do things that they didn't think they could do when you started the season and having that happen. Those are just, They're awesome. You know, ever count the first year, we only won six games. And uh, the last game of the year, we played a team who beat us soundly and Shalina Miller. I don't know if she ever shot a three pointer in her life before that season. And we go into that final game of the year and she's probably like, you know, two for 20 um, in three point attempts. And she bangs one down early in the game. And then with the game on the line, down three in the waning seconds. She hits a three at the buzzer to, you know, to send us into overtime. So like seeing things like that happen, a kid who, you know, never would have shot the ball before, but it's part of the system. It's part of, we expect every kid to be able to shoot from behind the the arc and she didn't have great success in it, but we never stopped believing in her. So she was forced to, you know, have to keep taking them. And there she is in the biggest spot of the season for that team that she drilled it. And so those kind of things are really enjoyable uh, to see those things happen. I also love when we draw up a play and we don't execute it perfectly and we still find a way to get it to work. And th- those are the things that I like, every coach wants to see their play work just the way they drew it up. But like we win the game uh, at Penn state and we set up a play for, you know, uh, Claire Jacobs to, you know, to, you know, go score the ball so we can try to win this thing. And i it, as I drew it up, I drew up a decoy, you know, Christina Klein going out to the wing and Claire thought he, she wanted me to throw that ball to her. So she threw it to her. Christina banged down a three and she literally had been in the game for I subbed her in for that possession. And uh, she gets in there and drills the three. And, you know, we end up with a big road upset against the Big Ten team, which was a you know milestone victory for us. Those things are really fun. You know, just seeing the players make stuff happen that wasn't necessarily in your script is really rewarding.
0: Now, being a head coach is time consuming division 1, it's time consuming by a factor of 10. Now, in addition to that, you are the father of 8. Yes. How I do am. how do you balance a family of 8 kids with being a division 1 coach? Well,
1: it's twofold. I have an amazing staff and I have an amazing wife. And so, and I, and honestly, I've got older kids now who are just so talented and so generous with their time with their siblings that um, I don't feel like uh, it doesn't seem like as, the way you painted it, it seems like a really big task, but it just seems normal to me.
0: How much does being a father of eight kids complement being the coach of a basketball team, and vice versa? I would imagine a lot of the same things you know, as far as making sure you're, you're pay, paying attention to everyone. Everyone's got different needs. Everybody's a yeah. little different and what they want and what they like and what they need. How do they complement each other?
1: Yeah. I really, the, the, a lot of the things that I learned as a coach have been very applicable to parenting. And then some of the things now that I'm learning as a parent, I've you know been able to get to use them as the coach a little bit, but I, One of the things, the way I think they affect one another, really well. So, my family at home, the home team, has a team to get behind and root for, right? So they they are all explorers and they're all in with our successes and failures, and they just they're all about it. But also, and this I kind of share this in in the recruiting with our recruits, like when the game ends, and it doesn't really matter what the scoreboard is, I got a bunch of little kids running up to me to jump on me and hug me. And, you know, they want to slap me high five before I go in the locker room. And that takes the edge off, right? And I go in the locker room a little bit less ferocious than maybe I would have had that not been the case. And so they add the perspective and the balance that I think makes playing for us at LaSalle a great experience for our players. Because I don't ever lose sight of the fact that, um, yes, they are basketball, and this is really important, and we want to be great, it's not everything, and it's not the only thing. And I think the, the, the family really helps balance that.
0: When you look back at your career in basketball to this point, could you have imagined the ride you've taken? Once again, if I talked hmm. to you back in 1994, 95, 96, and I, I lay it out for you, would you say, oh, that sounds about right, or would you say, nah, I don't know?
1: Yeah. So I guess I'm not I'm not a a terribly big planner, so I wouldn't have known what it would have looked like, you know, but like some of the steps along the way, the high school I went to, my cousin was a star basketball player there on that girls team that I was the manager. Nancy Seltzer ended up going to Division One, played at Iona. Her circle of friends, AU club basketball ended up being the Gallagher family, John Gallagher is the head men's basketball coach at Hartford. Well, his sister Joni's my year. And Joni went and played at Boston College. I became really close with that family. And so uh, while Joni's at Boston College, her assistant coach, Keith Saplicki, is coming to Philly to be at all the recruiting events. Well, I I one, I have an AAU team probably at that time. I can't remember exactly, but I I'm at all the events. I know all the players in the city because I'm coaching at Carroll. And so I'm feeding him information. You should check out this kid. You should do it that kid. And I'm picking his brain about this and that. Well, he gets the job at Vermont and then brings me along. You know, all these little connections are how this unfolds. And so because of the connection with the Gallagher family, I, you know, I end up getting my first break to get into college coaching and I'm up there. And then Chris Day, who's now my associate head coach, we went to Cal together. We were managers of that girls basketball team together. And we both started doing AAU at the same time. Well, he got into college coaching long before I did. And so when I was back home running camps, he was coaching at St. Joe's, LaSalle, then St. Joe's. So he was in the Atlantic 10. An assistant coach from Xavier gets a head job, reaches out to him. Do you know anybody you know, who might be good for my staff? He tags me and I end up at New Hampshire with Kristen Cole because, again, all those connections. And uh, yeah, I don't think I could see all those things mapping out. I ended up coming to many, many games in this arena when it was Heyman Hall to watch Annie Gallagher, Joni's younger sister, and Chrissy Donahue and Marnie McBreen, three O'Hara girls, my arch rival as a coach, come here and play here. Well, they, you know, Annie and I were friends. You know, I was, I was a young coach at that time uh, or even a manager still. And so I'm watching all these games in college in this gym that I'm now getting a coach in. It's crazy. And then I, you know, Annie and uh, Mrs. Gallagher probably and Mr. Gallagher's a LaSalle alum, probably had a little bit of hand of uh, putting a bird in somebody's ear that they should take a look at me as a as a coach to come here. So would I have been able to predict that all those years ago? No. But I bet you most coaches you talk to have a similar story that it's someone they worked with, someone they know that talked to somebody else. And here they are.
0: LaSalle women's basketball coach, Mountain McGillivray. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: It's a real pleasure. Thanks a lot.
0: And that will do it for this episode of One on One with Matt Leon. Want to thank LaSalle University, women's basketball coach Mountain Matt Gillivray for being our guest. If you like the show, want to help us out, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter, at OneOnOnePod. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at MattLeon1060. Thanks again for listening, and check us out next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.